Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 294, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we have a lot to dazzle and entertain you with today. We got Cowboys and, for the first time ever, the Commanders. <laughs> They've never played the Commanders before, so that'll be an interesting matchup. The Cowboys and the Commanders wow. coming your way Sunday at noon. Got some thoughts, Michael Gallup, Mike McCarthy, Tank Lawrence, take a trip around the block. Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Clarence Hill Jr. is going to join us. All sorts of things to get into. But before we start off, as always, we tell you about our friends at Greening Law. If you've been hurt in a car accident, injured on the premises of a business, you experienced malpractice from a physician, a hospital, you might have a case... And you need to call the lawyers at Greening Law who have represented all sorts of clients, including myself. Let them see if you've got a case and then let them be that what they do when they talk about being that legal competitor against the insurance companies. They mean it. Let them do it for you. Now, what you, if, if you're involved in any kind of accident, whether it's an 18 wheelers, an apartment complex, construction site, any kind of business, whatever, man, pick up the phone. Call 972-934-8900. It's the green team. It's the hotline. It's the number. And just say, hey, here's my details, people. What do you think? And if they bring you on as a client, I mean, shoot, man, it's your lucky day. Because as Matt can attest, this is a long, kind of tedious, it can be exhaustive process. And who doesn't want somebody with one of the police flashlights shining a light and showing you how to go leading the way? And as Matt has told you a thousand times, taking care of all the little stuff so all you got to worry on is getting your body better and getting back to doing whatever it is that you love to do that's what it is man it's free the consultation is free to find out do you have a case they'll let you know it's 972-934-8900 972-934-8900 robert greening call him now offices dallas texas so before we really get diving into this dallas cowboys game against washington you mentioned right before we started recording that you've become obsessed with something that you got to bring up. Okay, check this out. We had this, uh, I think we ended our show with talking about iconic plays or big plays because yeah. it was kind of playing off of Calvin's book. And I was like, uh, hey, let me just throw it out there in the Twitterverse because it's good for discussions like that when, uh, on Twitter when people aren't being, uh, you know, douches and a-holes and all that kind of stuff. 
And so we got a lot of great responses. And a friend of mine, Andy Newberry, sent one in and said, Patrick Creighton's dropped. That's an iconic play. And I go, you know that happened in the third quarter, right? Because Patrick Creighton has told me that like a million times. Yep. Mm-hmm. He says, why do you everybody want to act like that was the ball game? There's a whole other quarter and a half to play. I should have caught it, but there's a whole other quarter and a half to play, blah, blah, blah. So, but I wasn't sure when it happened. So I tried to look it up this morning, and you would think it would be very easy to look up, but, the, you know, pro football reference was either glitching or they had so many freaking ads or whatever yeah. it is. I literally couldn't just get on the box score and thing and call it up. And then I had to go do something, and I came back and tried to do it, and somebody called, and I couldn't. It was literally driving me crazy because I was becoming obsessed with what happened with Creighton play and all this other stuff. Now, here's the bottom line, Matt. Tell me what you think. I decided that no matter when it happened, it is an iconic play because that's the play everybody talks about from that game. What do you think? I would agree. I, I think that it's extraordinarily – it may be unfair and he may disagree with it, but the reality of it is when you lose a game as close as that game was and that was a 13-3 and team that was the one seed in the playoffs and we all right. thought, here we go. Right. I would agree. I mean, nobody, literally nobody remembers anything other than that game other than Patrick Creighton dropped the ball. Which is why we're about to have a very brief discussion on it. So Creighton on third and 13 from the Dallas 17. No, that's not it. Is it? Uh, Yeah, that's it. Third and 13 from Dallas 17. Um, Creighton, Romo scrambling. He's under heavy pressure. Hits the ball to Creighton, who is uncovered in the middle of the field. But it's only, it looks like he's only uncovered at like the 30-yard line. But there's nobody within, around him, and it would have been a right. first down. A lot of people think he would have scored, even though he was slow as molasses. But he's, you know, a lot of people think he would have scored on that play. Kind of the classic Romo, make it up as you right. go, hit a big play, touchdown. So they don't get it, and it's fourth down and 13 with a minute left in the fourth quarter, in the third quarter. They punt the ball, and R.W. McWhorters returns that thing uh, 25 yards. That's a huge play from the yes, Dallas to the yep. Dallas 20, 20 to the Dallas 37. Because what happened is you're thinking we're about to score and go up 24-14, and with the team we got, maybe that's enough. And instead, you get you don't score, then you give up this big ass punt return, and then at the start of the fourth quarter. Um, Brandon Jacobs goes in for a one-yard touchdown, and you're down 21-17. But you've got the entire fourth quarter. But the next drive ends on a third and 13 because Romo gets sacked on second down, which basically ruins that drive. Uh, You force a punt, three and out. You get the ball back at the 44. Great field position. Then you have to overcome, and they, they get credit for this, second and 24 after giving up a 14-yard sack. And they convert that, and they end up getting a first down, man, but the drive falls apart, deep ball to T.O. on third and 20 doesn't work because, once again, Romo got hit with an intentional grounding because the pressure was too much. Yeah. So, basically, a sack wrecked that drive as well. Then you get the ball back one more time after yet another three and out with a minute 50 left at the Giants' 48. More great field position. And that drive ends up with the miscommunication on fourth down, and Romo gets picked off on a pass to um, uh, Terry Glenn yeah. in the end zone. Yep. And those three things, like we had the whole fourth quarter, we had three possessions, two of them with the best field position you could ever ask for, 
is why Creighton says, why do you all want to say my, my play was the one that lost it? But we just told you why. People feel like that, even though, you know, they had plenty of opportunities to win it in the fourth quarter and didn't get it done. Yeah, it's very true, man. I mean, that, that's just, unfortunately, the reality, the sad reality of fandom, I think, is, is a really good way to describe that. I mean, it's, and I think people forget about this, in our minds, for whatever reason, if you want to go back to the Des Cotton play, in our minds, he catches that game over Cowboys win and they're going to the NFC Championship game. And we all conveniently forget that, yeah, that was later in the game, but there was still almost five minutes left in the game when that Man, play occurred. Nobody. <laughs> and right. And it's Aaron Rodgers, who we have seen multiple times. So I've always thought it's interesting that let, let's just say Des did catch it and they get a touchdown right there and they're up. Now, keep in mind, people forget they would have had to have gone for two to get it up by three. But even then, right. so let's just say that they don't. And it's 28, 26 at that point. We all believe, for some, whatever reason, in our minds, that Aaron Rodgers, with four minutes and change, would not have gotten the Packers in the field goal position minimum to kick a game-winning field goal. Oh, you know, like he did right. a few years later when the game was in Dallas. Right, 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 right. But our, that is correct. But that's our minds. In our minds, Dez catches it, rolls into the end zone. That's no time left on the clock, game over. And that Creighton passes the same way. If Creighton catches that, Cowboys win that game because it was right at the end of the fourth quarter. Like, actually... <laughs> That, my friends, is not how it went down. No, it's not how. And it's always like that with those freaking plays, man. I wonder, did anybody bring up anything from the second Packers game, like the, the Rodgers pass to Jared Cook? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people had that down. Yeah. And, um, God, man, I almost threw as, up when that as, happened. As the play. Because you like, there's just no way they're going to convert this. No. So don't, you know, no illegal holding, no illegal contact, none of that, and we're good to go. And yet somehow... <laughs> they get it done. God, that was just, I mean, how in the hell that happens like that? It's rough. We don't need to bring those ones up. But yeah, I iconic plays. We'll, maybe we'll, we will. We'll go through those at some point. I think, yeah, uh, my vision, man, is, uh, now this is a vision that I'm making up on the sly. My vision is that we could, uh, we could really do a segment just like we i mean we didn't probably spent six or seven minutes talking about this and this was literally just off the top of our head at one minute and so we could probably do a, a longer segment on a bunch of different plays if we felt a certain urge. yeah because i think it'd be fun you know how we used to do the five plays yeah where you go and you get the audio and, and you kind of go right. back through where that situation was and what the reaction was you know it's funny right. is i've taken that segment and i do that on my show here in birmingham for alabama yeah i do it for alabama and auburn i do five plays from the bama game and five plays from the auburn game see look at you i mean you and know people love it man. they're like oh man that's really that's, good <laughs> that's because there's no rule that ever says you have to reinvent the wheel no doubt man i was like you know what I was telling the guys, it's like, it's such a great way to continue the conversation about the game without having the same conversation that you've already had. Right. Matter of fact, I don't know why we stopped doing it. We should do that again. Well, I can tell you why, because it takes oh. an insane amount of work. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, maybe that's why we stopped doing it. That is why. I mean, it's, we could do that on the podcast. It's just difficult because we're both so busy now. You know, that, that's right. why, like, Secret Audio of a Cowboys Homer, everybody likes that. Well, a, a part of it has been I haven't been as intense. I'm starting to come back around a little bit. But earlier this season, like, watching the games, I didn't have a lot of expectation. So I was a little watching the games with more malaise than I ever have before, where I'm not as reactionary. Okay. 
And it's just, man, I mean, with everything that we both have going on, editing audio and doing stuff like that takes, I mean, it is not a, a small task. Well, let's go behind the curtain because even I don't know. Yeah, to do five plays, how much time does that take you? Well, I mean, again, so like if you're starting the whole, like if we do it during the course of the game, so then that means that like there's no extra time of going oh, back no, through. We, no, as we as we break down our show for you guys and take you behind the curtain, right? We we definitely do it on a Tuesday, not on a right. Sunday. No, but what I'm saying is like so that would mean are we doing it like as we're watching the game, we're making a note to be like, oh, here's the five or six plays that right. we want to use, and then you can go back and then you got to go on Game Pass and find those and edit it out, record it. You know, I mean, it, it can take. That one is not too time consuming if I already know the exact five plays. Like the way that I do it on my show here, I've got to go like a lot of the times I'll go back through and watch the game again. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We're and doing, and yeah. make sure that those are the plays and I'll verify it. And then because it's just me working on it, I don't have anybody helping me. Right. And then I send it to my producer and tell him, find the audio for these plays. Right, right, right. And he spends, you know, a couple hours in the morning finding the audio and editing yeah. it and all that. Now, I think what we would do is uh, the easiest thing to do. Um, it's just to, uh, when we do our show after the Cowboys game, have a five minute conversation after the show. Yo, here's the five plays. What do you think? And move it from there. We'll see how it goes. I was going to say, but we'll talk and figure out if that's that's something that that can be done or if we pick it up and we do it occasionally, drop it off occasionally with some big games or something like that, uh, which may be a better way to do it. Yeah, and, and it's, it's always because there's always some of those in every play, and, and I've always found that a fascinating conversation personally just because we all remember the scoring plays, you know, but how did that happen? Like, and, and a lot of the times it can be a penalty or a third and seven converted that we all forgot about that or, or, or a special play design is like, man, we saw that, and that kind of showed and featured this guy and what he's able to do in space and things like that. So it is exciting. And I just watched the tape of the Creighton drop I don't think he scores because there's two guys right there. Yeah. That's another thing that I think it, that's always fascinating, much like the CeeDee Lamb drop on Sunday. Everybody, oh, he, that's a for sure touchdown. Maybe it was. I don't know. I haven't seen the all 22 on that, but that safety who was over the top, to me, he still would have had to make that guy miss. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe they get tackled at the 10, and much like we've seen this offense, it had sputtered out anyway. But we always yeah. do that. Anytime there's a, a guy that drops a ball, in our minds, it would have won the game if that guy had caught it. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, there's never another scenario. That's how it is with everything that ever happens. No, I feel you on that, bro. But Sunday at noon, the Cowboys and the Commanders, which I think, I don't, man, I got to be honest, I wish they had just left it alone at Washington football team. That's me. I thought Washington uh, football team was cool. cool. I think yeah. Commanders is stupid. And I think Washington football team, it was unique. No one else in the NFL is doing it like that. And the design looked cool. It was cool. But they didn't. And now they're the Washington Commanders. Carson Wentz is their quarterback. We know he's going to take a lot of sacks. And if you get a little pressure on him, he'll throw you a pick. He's thrown three in his three games so far this season. Their run game is meh. It's Antonio Gibson who is the, by far the main guy. And remember, they had drafted Brian Robinson in the third round out of Alabama, and he had just the freakiest of freak things happen to him where he was a victim of a carjacking before the season began, and he was shot a couple of times, and he was put on IR. They, they do believe they're going to be able to get him back at some point this season, 
But everything that you read coming out of Washington was Brian Robinson was going to be the main guy and that Gibson could come in and because he pa- he catches passes out of the backfield a lot and stuff too. But I, this is a weird Washington team to me. They've got more weapons now. You know, they picked up Curtis Samuel in free agency a year ago, and he's been really solid for them. It's odd to me. There's obviously some sort of a disconnect between Carson Wentz and Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin currently is the second leading receiver on this team. Chris or Curtis Samuel has 10 more receptions than he does. Doesn't sound like the way it's supposed to go, bro. Not with him. And then, of course, Jahan Dotson, who they picked up, their first-round wide receiver that they picked up as well. You know, they, they've kind of used him a little bit, but he only has nine catches on his 18 targets. And it's a clunky, I would say, that's probably a good way to describe it. This is a clunky Washington offense. Um, I'm trying to figure out what, to, like, I don't, I think the problem with it is, number one, they don't have an identity. What is it that they do well? And two, they're, they're just not very good. So if you don't have an identity and you don't have any talent, it's hard to do that thing, man. Yeah, and, and I think that's where they're at. I mean, you look at the rushing, three games in, 85 against Jacksonville, 88 against Detroit, 87 against Philadelphia. So that's, again, a team that's averaging right about 80-some-odd yards a game. And then passing, they clipped 300 barely a couple of times, and then the Eagles just shut their ass down last week. They couldn't do anything <laughs> against the Eagles. Couldn't do anything against the Eagles. No, and um, if, they, if they can't handle the pass rush from uh, your Dallas Cowboys, then they're not going to be able to do anything offensively right. against Cowboys either. And the Cowboys right now are pass rushing in a good way. And this is what happens when Micah Parsons is on your team. Who's going to take care of Micah Parsons and stop him from just, you know, just destroying the entire game? Yeah. I don't know who it is. I mean, the reality of it is, and there's been a lot made of this, Carson Wentz was sacked nine times last week nine times against Philadelphia. That was kind of a wonky game because in the second quarter, they just went ballistic and Jalen Hurts was just picking them apart. The Eagles had completions of 45, 38, 40, and 23 in the second quarter and put up 20, I think it was all 24 of their points in the second quarter and didn't score in the other three quarters. I mean, it was 24 to nothing in the fourth quarter before Washington finally got on the board and got a two-point conversion. But that, that wasn't even a game. The week before that against Detroit, the Lions, when I say the Lions ran all over them, I'm not exaggerating here. <laughs> they, they had no defense for what Detroit wanted to do on the ground, which you think would bode well for the Cowboys. I mean, you look at this and, I mean, they, they just couldn't stop them on the ground. They, they had 56 yards from Swift on just five carries. Their main back, Jamal Williams, had 53 yards. And then Amon Ross St. Brown had 68 yards, including a 58-yard that they almost scored on, like on an end-around or whatever that was. And, I mean, they just – it was chunk play after chunk play. And I think that that's one thing that might benefit the Cowboys is Washington's given up a lot of explosive plays so far this season. This is true. We just don't know – and I'm not taking shots. I'm being serious. We don't know if the Cowboys have anybody who can take advantage of that besides Tony Pollard. Yeah, like, true. literally. And I'm, I'm being serious. Again, I'm not taking shots because y'all can tell me I like a lot of things about CeeDee Lamb. He doesn't appear to be a burner. He's not the guy who takes the top off of defense. 
Michael Gallup tends to make a lot of big plays, catches down the field. Maybe he can get loose. Um, but again, how do I want to say this? You just have to have the right expectation for Michael Gallup. Like, it's going yeah. to be his first game back from ACL. And again, without Amari Cooper there, you know, they can mix and match and do what they want to with him on a given play or a given day to try to take him away because he's going to get more attention. Yeah, that's very true, man. And, and, you know, we'll see. We got a couple of those explosive plays last week. Obviously, the 46-yarder from Pollard, the 27-yarder from Zeke, just in the run game. I don't know that I trust, and this is weird because we used to have this idea that, oh, man, that Washington defense, they're loaded with all these high draft picks. They added Chase Young to this dominant level defense. Well, Chase Young isn't going to play, obviously. He was on IR. And what we used to kind of think of as this really stout defense. Based off of Alabama players. Right. It, it just, it really isn't. I mean, you know, Jameen Davis, the linebacker, has three sacks so far this year. Uh, Deron Payne, the, one of those Alabama picks in the middle there, had a couple of sacks. But I don't know that it's the defense that most of us thought it would morph into when they had all these high draft picks that they used on defense. No, because they're not the dominant unit we thought they would become or, or that they looked like they were going to become, you know, a couple of years ago when they were stopping a run. You're like, damn, how are you going to deal with that front? Yeah. They have the worst owner in the NFL by far. He doesn't really do anything to help them, you know. And so I think it's really a rudderless organization. And, you know, they've been bad for a long time, man. They have been. That's true. <laughs> I mean, they've been bad for a long time. I mean, you can bitch and moan about the Cowboys. The Cowboys have disappointing seasons where they build you up to think they're going to do something and they get all the way there and then they can't get it up when it's time to enter. That's what the Cowboys do. The, 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 the Washington football team, they can't even get a date, man. They're just at home watching, you know, movies in the basement. Yeah, that's very true. They're that bad. And, and, they have one of the, and again, we're only three games into the season, but when you look at some of the teams that they have played, they played Jacksonville and Detroit. I don't know that anybody is wowed by their offenses. Maybe that'll change midway. And they played Philadelphia. They've given up the sixth most yards in the NFL through three games, but perhaps even worse, only three teams are allowing more yards per play than Washington wow. is. They're allowing 6.3 yards per play. Damn. That's a lot, um, man. That's a lot. And this is the kind of game you hope your offense can get right and build some momentum hanging into this two-game stretch against uh, the Los Angeles Rams and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, because it would be great to split those two. It would be great to win this one, split those two, and you'd be feeling great about the Cowboys uh, uh, with Dak either back or on his way back. Um, I do have a question for you, bro. Yes. Do you have a theory – because I, I don't know that I've heard a theory. And maybe I just forgot it. Do you have a theory for why Carson Wentz is so bad? No, I don't. Because I, I, I looked at this. And I meant to say this before I, 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 I let you get started. You know, aside from the second year when he won 11, when he won right. 11 and 2 as a starter. Yep. He's really, what is that, man? 34 and 40? As a starter? He has not like been good six since years? then. I mean, look, we're talking about a guy who was a number two overall pick in the draft that's on his third team in three years. Yeah, I'm just like, and then he's falling off a truck. I mean. He's, and you look uh, at this, his completion, and this is what's really weird, is year three, 
he completed basically 70% of his passes, and he has gone down every year. A couple of years ago, it was 57%. Now he's back to 63%. Led the league in interceptions a couple of years ago, his final year in Philadelphia there. I don't know what happened, and maybe it was the injury, and something yeah. happened to him mentally that he just never got over. And, miss it. And, and I don't know. And, and you, you always heard in Philadelphia that there were guys that he just rubbed the wrong way that didn't see a connection, that he had a hard time relating to certain guys in the room. And I'm not being, were those brothers or just guys in general? I, I think it was the former based yeah. on, remember those reports that were coming out of Philadelphia? And just yeah. kind of having a hard time. And look, guys see that. And then if they talk and you know, and I always kind of viewed Carson Wentz, and I don't, I've never talked to him, just from the few things I've read about him, he strikes me as a guy that might not have the mentality it takes to be successful at the quarterback position. Now, what do you mean by that? In a sense of I don't know how mentally strong he is. For a position that, I mean, maybe more so than anywhere else, you have to, like, he might let things bother him more so than other quarterbacks would as far as guys maybe not buying into him in the room, bouncing around, hearing guys talking trash in the league, listening to the media, whatever the case may be. Oh, I think you might be right at that. I just looked up his natal chart. He fits into that category. So, (laughs) yeah, and he's just kind of given off that vibe. And some of the ways that he's been, and I just wonder, like, that injury and his shaken confidence and the fact that he struggled and those stories started coming out in Philadelphia, it's almost like he just he wanted to blame other things and not deal with it directly. And then, of course, he goes to Indianapolis. They do nothing there. They don't believe in him. Goes to Washington. He's doing nothing there. They're not going to believe in him. I see what's interesting is, you know, if you look at his numbers – in Indianapolis last year, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, problem was he didn't, you know, you can't play, you can't start 17 games and throw for 3,500 yards. I mean, I guess he did have a big-time running back, but that's 200 yards a game, basically. I mean, that's not going to get it done. Yeah, I mean, he's a placeholder. He has become a placeholder. He's holding a place in Washington for whatever is going to be next for them. And, I mean, that's what he was doing in Indianapolis. And when they had a chance to get Matt Ryan, they're like, well, get hell, get rid of this dude. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting to me because the stats aren't, like, that bad. But he might be like Kirk Cousins. His stats are fine, but he's just never winning anything, and so why bother? Yeah, very well could be. I don't, I don't know that they drafted that kid out of North Carolina, Sam Howell, in the fifth round this year. I don't know that he's the, the future, obviously. You know, right. but they've... They've done an interesting job of trying to, and it wasn't necessarily for Carson Wentz, but you look at the fact they, they, they took a wide receiver midway through the first round this year in Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. They drafted a running back in the third round in Brian Robinson. A year ago, they had drafted a wide receiver in the third round in Deami Brown, who so far has done really nothing. And a couple of years before that, they took Antonio Gibson in the third round. Obviously, they took Terry McLaurin in the third round and he's turned into a little of something so they've tried to kind of reinvest in their offense a little bit right i don't know what it is about washington man like you look at some of the names that they have picked out you know Fedarian mathis second round pick this year from alabama last year jameen davis their first round pick the linebacker from kentucky who's had a good season so far had a, a solid rookie year 
Chase Young, who just, it's like you go to Washington, what happens to Chase Young? Oh, it's the curse of being in Washington. They're no fault of your own. You know, Dwayne Haskins, the tragedy of Dwayne Haskins. We forget they drafted him halfway through the first round a couple of years ago. Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, I mean, Jonathan Allen, all these guys they invested in. It's Washington might be the most perplexing, I think, in the NFL for sure, but it's got to be one of the most in all of sport. Well, that's why I say they have the worst owner in sports because I think some of that is just the vibe and the environment that he creates. You know, because you hear stuff like, you know, when when I say he's the worst owner, like Jerry meddles, Jerry interferes, if that's how you choose to, to describe it. But he's trying to win even if you think he's not, you know, the moves he makes, whatever, his decisions in his mind are geared toward winning. Like, if you read and hear stuff about Daniel Snyder, his whole thing is all about come in my office and explain to me after this 31 to 30 loss why we lost. I need answers right now. That's just yeah. mean spirited bullshit, pettiness. That's what he's all about. This whole thing that he insists on people not look at him, not talk to him. Yeah. If you talk to him, you have to address him by Mr. Snyder. Man, you can kiss my black ass. And you can kiss, uh, what's your name? Matt McLaren's white Scottish ass under his kilt. Oh, it's very white. Uh, <laughs> Shiny <laughs> white almost. Ass. You know what? I mean, come on, man. It's, it's just silly, this whole superiority thing, because you think your money makes you a better person than everybody else. I agree. He's such a loser. It's ridiculous. And, and as long as he owns the franchise, they'll never have success. But as far, as far as the game goes on Sunday, it's a noon kick. Based on what I have seen so far in the last two weeks with Cooper Rush, I really like how it played out. I don't know that Washington will effectively slow down the Cowboys' running game, which I think helps everything in the way they want to do their offense. I like the Cowboys winning another one here, man. I think they get a third win in a row and move to 3-1. and one. I, I think it's another one of those defensive things. This is a game to me, and we almost saw it last week against the Giants somebody's going to pick six in this game for the Cowboys. Oh, maybe it's Diggs. Out there calling it. Yeah. I just Diggs was so close last week and Wentz under pressure, which he will be, will make a mistake. And, and this might be the week where Diggs or somebody on that defense gets one. So I'm going to add that to the offensive score. So give me Cowboys 24, Washington 14. You know, I swear we don't we don't discuss these scores at all. <laughs> we don't it's true no we really don't but we're always kind of in the same ballpark um i think that uh i think the defense is going to do their thing uh my question is always this offense and they went 12 drives between touchdowns then they scored 17 points on three straight drives that's, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm still not figuring out what their offense is all about. I think they win. I think they can win with defense and special teams. I think they've figured out now how to really run the ball. And, uh, you know, one thing they figured out, Matt, is that Terrence Steele is obviously a really good run blocker. Tyler Smith is obviously a really good run blocker. And the two tight ends who play now that Dalton Schultz is hurt, they're both very good run blockers. And so when you get those cats out on the field, you can actually do a little something. Uh, that's a, so anyway, that's a long way of me saying 
I think the Cowboys win. I think they cover. And I had Dallas winning 26 to 13. All right, yeah. I mean, we're right in the same wheelhouse. Yeah, because I think they should score more touchdowns, but I just have a feeling they'll wind up kicking field goals. They might. It, it, it just um, – I don't know. They were really, really close. You wonder at what point is Turpin going to break one? At what point is Diggs going to pull one of those in and just pick six it the other way? So we'll see what happens on Sunday. But I'll take three and one, man. Three and one at this point of the season with, as you mentioned, the Rams and the Eagles coming up. And we'll see. I don't know that there's a dominant team. All you got to do is get in the show. We'll see. Super Bowl, here we come. I'm not ready to go there yet. Watch out now. Super Bowl, here we come. (laughs) Three and one would be a fantastic start given uh, the circumstances and how it played out. Um, and to me, like, I don't think they're a great team. I'm not even sure they're good. I think they may be above average right now. But the thing about the NFL is you're either moving, you're either getting better or getting worse. Ain't nobody staying the same. And so you could sit there and convince yourself how they could get better because they're playing a bunch of young guys at several different spots who should get better during the season goes on. And so, you know, it, it um, again, man, if they were sitting at five and three at the break, having lost your quarterback for four games or whatever it is, yeah, you'd have to be thrilled. You'd be a little disappointed if that ended up being five and three because you lost to the, to the Eagles and the Rams. But you might be okay with five and three if you beat the Eagles and lost to the Lions or something. You know, because you'd be like, well, damn, I thought the Eagles were really high. And here we are 2-0 and 3-0 in the division. Uh, and then, you know, we, you know, we get them at our place next. That's how you could think. So this next few weeks, man, this is what I love about the NFL. Every week there's a different drama. Yeah, that's very, very true. That is very, very story, true. Different storyline, a different drama, different thing that we're following. And, and all of that information, all that conversation feeds the beast, is the kindling for the fire, uh, it's the coal for the furnace, you know. Keep it going. The, Come uh, on. What else you got? It's content for our show. It's the gas for the car. <laughs> It's the Viagra for your dick. Whoa, it's, it's, there it is. <laughs> hey. It's, uh, I was it's, thinking like know. it's the ball for your racket. <laughs> it's the glove for your hand. And Jacques is like, no, no, let me tell you what it, really, what it is. God. Hey, sometimes I, have, I like to catch y'all by surprise. It's the methane for your fart. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> and you're going, wait, I mean, all of a sudden it's just like, oh, there it is. That's what happens at 55. Apparently, man. You got to pop it every once in a while, I suppose. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Vroom, vroom. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe you can vroom vroom on the way over to Freeway Tire Shop. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Freeway Tire, man. I take my cars there all the time. Uh, try to see JR on a regular basis. Not really, but it ends up working out like that. Freeway car. Freeway tire. You need to take your car over there. Not just for tires, although they're great with tires. I just got a couple tires uh, from there last week. Uh, before I hit the road for Jackson again. But, man, JR and his team, they're a company, a car company you can trust. Uh, you can trust them to diagnose whatever the heck is wrong with your car. Trust them to use quality parts, man. That's a big deal so that you don't get the same thing breaking down. I trust him to give me a fair price. And he get you go, anybody that's ever been a freeway tire, feel like if you fit, ask them if they felt like they got a job. The answer is 100% no. And then, man, I trust him to stand behind this work. If you can find a mechanic who could do any of that, you probably can't. But if you can, go to that person. If not, take your butt over there. I'm going to say take your ass over there to a freeway tire in JR. And uh, you'll thank us later, man. It's a, it's a great deal. It is. It's freewaytireshop.com. Schedule an appointment. Request a quote. 
Also, order up your Bruce Biltong because while you're sitting there, maybe chatting with JR, waiting for your tires or whatever you got doing, you can munch on some of your Bruce Biltong. Doesn't get any better than that, man. It's it's a phenomenal snack. B R U S B I L T O N G, Bruce Biltong. It's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's literally the name of the meat is Biltong. That's what it is. I don't know how else to just, it, it's, it, it, as you like to say, it translates to butt strip. <laughs> yeah, tell them why, bro. No, I, I, I think it's Danish, as I recall. Yes. And so, and I'm trying to remember if that's exactly what the language of it is before I just like make it up and just decide to go after that. But it's a South African <laughs> air-dried meat. In South Africa, they eat this all the time. And then, and then they come over to America and like, what is this beef jerky crap? So they decided to start making, yeah, it's from Dutch. It's Dutch. Bill means buttock, since the cuts of meat typically used are from that part, and tong means strip. So bill tong yeah. literally means butt strips. Hey, who doesn't want a little juicy butt strip? And it is I juicy, man. I mean, these things are like, you wonder, <laughs> do they come from the Kardashians? Because they are succulent, savory, they are tender. I mean, bill tong is, to me, once you have bill tong, you can't go back to ever having beef jerky again. No, it's, uh, that's real, man, because the flavor's good. Y'all know I love it because it's 230 calories in a two-ounce pouch, plus, plus, plus 30 grams of protein, man. You can get guns like your boy. There it is. You want to look like Jacques? It's easy. Eat Biltong. <laughs> it's bruisebiltong.com. Use the promo code JAM15 at checkout, and they'll knock off 15% off your order. First time, seventh time, every time at bruisebiltong.com. So we got to take this trip around the block because you and I, it's funny, we asked each other before we started recording, have you seen all of Dahmer yet? I was like, no, we, we, I think we have like three episodes left. But we have seen one of the episodes, both of us have. And we talked about this before. It's called Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. It's on Netflix. It's very creepy. It's extremely disturbing. It is very graphic. And again, like, for those that don't know, somehow, maybe you're younger and you didn't realize, Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer who viciously murdered 17 people and ate some of them and had committed acts of necrophilia with them. So obviously, wow. anything about him is going to be disturbing. Well, yes. episode six, and I, I got to say, man, I wish they had done more of this, like more showing us a lot more about the victims. Yeah. I couldn't tell you one person's name, and this is how it always is. When any time there's something like this, right, you have no idea who are the names of these people, but you can sure as hell tell me about Jeffrey Dahmer. You know who he is. Well, you know that that led to the thing where people go, you know what, uh, you know they're doing it now with mass shooters. No, we're not. We're not going to tell you his name. You know, and give right. him the celebrity that he's looking for. And, and it should be that way. And. I got to tell you, man, as many of you know, there are episodes of television and things in movies where you sit there and you watch it go. That's one of the most impactful things I've ever seen in the world of cinema or television. And episode six of Dahmer is one of those. It tells the story from the victim's perspective of his 12th victim named Tony Hughes, who was a deaf, mute, gay black man in the early 1990s. The actor who plays him apparently is a, a virtually an unknown. He's actually really a deaf actor. Oh, is he now? Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that. This episode, I mean, there were times where I almost started crying. It is so intensely just 
heartbreaking for this yeah. young gay black man. I mean, think about that. Think about going through life and the struggles you deal with being black. Think about yeah. being gay in the early nineties. And then think on top of that, you're deaf. <laughs> and it, it showed him like he'd be at clubs and stuff and he'd signal to a guy, you know, want a drink and the guy would come over and be, try to talk to him and he'd have to write down I'm deaf. And the guy, would, Oh, uh, Hey, my friends are asking for me, you know, and you could just see, and this guy just kept a positive attitude. And apparently that's really how this guy was. Like, I have to say this episode of television, I must've read 15 articles about Tony Hughes trying to learn more about who this guy was. Is that right? I was inspired by it because it just, the character was so warm and seemed so positive and look, it's, it's heartbreaking that any of these people were murdered. But the yeah. way that they shot this episode, this one so far is the worst in a sense of, you want, I wanted to be friends with this guy. Yeah, you're trying to figure out, come on, man. Uh, don't, maybe right. this one gets away. Right. <laughs> maybe maybe he, he somehow escapes. Uh, but you know, Drew, it's, uh, these, these, these serial killers are efficient killers, man. That's why they can keep doing it. Yeah, and it's just so sad. Now, apparently, and this is where it's interesting, Dahmer says that he only ever met this dude once. But all of, their, all of Tony's friends say that they knew who Jeffrey Dahmer was and had seen them together multiple times and that they kind of had a relationship together. And that is the story that's portrayed in this episode. I was going to say, you can't tell from the episode they only met one time. They met several times. Right, and, and, and at least more than once. Yeah, and I mean, my dude, when he leaves the apartment and then has to come back because he forgot his keys, I was like, no, bro. I was the same way. I was like, dog, come on. And you know what's going to happen because I knew he was a victim, but I, you, ah. and that can be something that's real. I mean, look, this is a this is a very very intense show. It's very real, and I will say, and I was talking to somebody about this at work today. I was like, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about it is I feel like when you're watching these episodes, you feel the angst, the creepiness, and the, oh, holy shit, I need to get out of this situation that the victims were in when they realized right. this was not who they thought it was. Well, see, that's the whole thing. At some point, you, your, your, your spidey sense goes off. You go, oh, this is a problem. How am I going to work my way out of this? Uh, because this is this right. is not going the way you know. The, it's it's everything, man. It's that moment where you go, oh, this is not going the way I anticipated. All right, let me think about this, and then you hope that uh, you don't panic and you you can make it happen. Yeah, man. But it, it's I don't know. That's that is one of the most powerful just episodes of television I've ever seen. Because it's really, I mean, 65% of the episode, you don't even see Dahmer. I mean, it's truly told from the perspective of who this man was, what he was about, his family, what they went through, all that is told. And it's the, you know, you know what moment uh, that hit me, man? Not that I didn't realize this, but uh, the way they shot it, for whatever reason, I, just, I was just like, damn. It's the, it's the impact on the family. Yeah. You know, like when you see the mom sitting yeah. at the table just crying and you're just like, yeah, you know, your sick uh, perversion has these other people just, you know, devastated. Yeah, and that's that's part of it. And I, I feel. I don't know, because I've read a lot of different things about this and I, I understand both sides, but I think it's nice that. 
I mean, it just feels like when you talk about stuff like this, like nice is the wrong word to use, but to see the perspective, to learn of who this man was and the impact that he had made in his short time in the world that was taken by this monster, the impact and in, in, in the positive things that he had and the way he was able to touch people who were close to him, I guess. Like, it makes me feel glad that, that we now know who this person is. Yeah, and just think about it. It's, it's been, what, 30-some years? Yeah, because that was, yeah, 31 years ago. It was 1991. It was May of 91 yeah. when this, this young man was killed by Jeffrey Dahmer. So he's been gone 31 years, and aside from his family, you know, the rest of the world is just not figuring out that, yeah, his life mattered. Yeah, so it's, man, it, it, it's, in, whether it's good or bad, it is a riveting television show. And it is I riveting do. in good ways and riveting in bad ways. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, but it, it keeps you compelled to watch it. It does. It's just like, wow. Even though you know the story, you're just like, damn. So the other thing that I wanted to throw out here is the month of October. Many of you will be listening to this on September 30th or maybe over the weekend when October 1st hits. I completed my 40th book of the year this past week. So I am still on pace for 52 books, which is one book a week for the year of 2022. But I started reading a new book and I got to tell you, man, I can already tell that I'm I think I'm two chapters into this. Trying to see when this was released. I think it came out like within the last week. It's very, very real or very, very new, maybe like a week ago. And it is from the very acclaimed and well-known astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, yes, yes. His new book is called Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization. And I got to tell you, man, so the little synopsis of it is, Bringing his cosmic perspective to civilization on Earth, Tyson shines new light on the crucial fault lines of our time, war, politics, religion, truth, beauty, gender, race, in a way that stimulates a deeper sense of unity for all of us. In the first couple of chapters, man, my my head has just been like, dude, this is mind-boggling awesome. Uh, Okay, in what way? In a sense, like he in one of the, the it might be the first chapter, he spends going through how like the moment of which we live is always the most advanced moment there's ever been. And then you don't realize when you're in that moment, like how advanced you actually are. And he spends like a, a chapter kind of going through 30 year increments talking about like going all the way back to say, I think it starts with like 1860 or something. And then all the inventions that by the time you get to 1890, He goes, if you had taken somebody out of 1860 and dropped them into 1890, they wouldn't know what to do. And it's just 30 years. And he does that. And the final one he goes is from starting in 1990 to 2020, all the different things that we've had advancements in. And there's even a sentence in there where he goes, if you take somebody out of 1990, because like to us, we would sit there and go, oh yeah, I mean like the iPhone and stuff like that and the internet. But we lived through that and it became regular to us. But if you took somebody from the year 1990 and dropped them in right now, that person would be like, what is this? Why, why do you have an iPhone? What is that? What is the internet? All these different little things. What, how do you have a car that is chart? Like you're using electricity to drive this car around. And then he said, and then say this phrase to them. And it was something like, oh, just Google this site about YouTube to find out if your 4K video is going to go viral with your selfie. And the person, the person from 1990 would think you were speaking a foreign language. You know, that's, um, 
that's pretty interesting and it's true because um you know i just think about the occasional conversations i have with my kids and they have no idea what i'm talking about yeah it's in some things and i'm just like wow you know you just forget a lot of times it's with tv shows like we talked about the brady bunch the other day yeah if i said something that made some reference well you know man we got a braided we got a blended family like the brady bunch had it's not a big deal man my kids would look at me like who the, who the hell is the brady brady bunch what are you what are you talking about yeah, i mean wild. i don't even have any concept of yeah that. um so no that makes uh that makes sense to me you know who suffers through a little bit of that man and uh i've seen some shows about it in just kind of i don't want to say uh you know whatever i Prisoners, people who've been in jail for a long time. Yeah, they come out, and if you go to jail, if you went in jail like we're talking about, like 1995, and you got out in 2020, and you went in as a 20 year old, and now you're 45, dude, you'd be like, "The hell is going on out here?" <laughs> yeah, man, and and so he brings up a lot of this, and you know, I mean, look, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think most people kind of know who he is. I mean, he is a very, very well known astrophysicist, and and a variety of different things and has all these degrees and these awards and all this type of stuff. And, and what's his claim to fame, man, I was trying to think of that myself. Like he, <laughs> it seems like he kind of became like the next Carl Sagan, Stephen Hawking type guy. Okay. And I mean, he, he, now he's like, you see these documentaries that he hosts and he does all this stuff. He hosted that cosmos, a space time odyssey back on the National Geographic channel, I think, and, and just did, somehow he became like just a, like, in, I mean, name another one, right? An astrophysicist, so, but right. there's this guy, and he's got all this acclaim and, and different things, so when he says things, I think people tend to listen a little bit. Right. So in his book, he says, there's this thing, he goes, I remember thinking when I was a kid, back in the 60s, he loved Star Trek, but the one thing that he couldn't make himself believe was that a door could open when you approach it. <laughs> I think a lot of us may have been down that road. See, and now, I mean, you it, like any store you walk into half the time is, is you don't even think twice about it. No. So he has said that, you know, that it's, it's almost impossible to make predictions of how things will extrapolate down in the future but he tries to make some predictions here. And again, this is Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of the, the well, most well-known acclaimed astrophysicists there is. Here are right. some of his predictions by the year 2050. Now, you keep in mind, when I say some of these, you may be like, well, that's dumb. If I had told you, if we were doing this podcast in 1990, and I told you that in the year 2020 that you would pick up a phone and it would be a computer in your hand that you could access any information you wanted on something called the internet, you'd be like, well, you're obviously an insane person. <laughs> But that's exactly what we do every day. And, you know, he had a, well, let me tell you his predictions just real quick. Here we go. Just a couple of them. By 2050, neuroscience and our understanding of the human mind will become so advanced that mental illnesses will be cured, leaving psychologists and psychi psychiatrists without jobs. Interesting. We develop a perfect antiviral serum and cure for cancer. Medicines will tailor to your own DNA, leaving no adverse side effects. I believe that, no doubt. In a shift that echoes the rapid conversion that we saw from horses to automobiles in the early 20th century, 
self-driving electric vehicles will fully replace all cars and trucks on the road. Now, if you want to be nostalgic with your fancy combustion engine sports car, you'll be able to drive on specially designed tracks akin to the horse riding stables of today. (laughs) That sounds wild, but that's probably... I could see that happening. I mean, think about that, man. He says, one thing we will resist will be the urge to merge the circuitry of computers with the circuitry of our brains. Say that again. The circuitry of computers merging with the circuitry of our brains. He, he says he thinks people will, will be able to fight the urge because the technology will be available to make that happen. And finally, we will learn how to regrow lost limbs and failing organs, bringing us up to the level of other regenerating animals on Earth. I kind of believe that, too. I mean, you think about that type of stuff, and it's like when you're living through it and you forget how much and how quickly time will go by. Like he uses he uses the iPhone as an example. He goes in the year of 2006, not a single person on the planet owned a smartphone. It debuted in 2007. By 2020, half of the world's population of 8 billion owned a smartphone. Jesus. I mean, you think about that. In 13 years, we went from not knowing what a smartphone was to half of the Earth's population owning one. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, when you, it's insane when you start thinking about stuff like that. And he's talking about how, you know, he has this whole thing where he breaks down the rate of science and our technological advances. And I thought this was fascinating. I was trying to look for the stat. I can't, oh, I remember it off the top of my head now. So from whenever the U.S. Patent Office, which is issuing patents for all these inventions, right? From when it first came around in like the 1960s through 2010, so almost 50 years worth, in the 10-year period from 2010 to 2020, they issued over 3.5 million patents, and that 10-year period was more than they had issued in its existence previous. Jesus. Like, that's how quick technology and science is moving, and he talks about how it doubles up on itself every 15 years, basically. So you think about all we know right now, 15 years from now, we'll know twice as much. Jeez. And that's I, mean, all- I, mean, I mean, it makes sense. It, right. It, 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 if you think about it, I mean, look at how far medicine has become now. And, yeah. you know, think about think about the fake limb that the, the fake prosthetic that the dude had in uh, the, the fugitive, fugitive. Yeah. With Harrison Ford. And then think about what you'd have now if you redid the movie. It'd be a prosthetic that, you know, would be a robotic arm that would yep. make you stronger that nobody would even know was fake. You're exactly right, man. And, and when he goes through and kind of shows like you think about this. In what we knew like 100 years ago, well, if it doubles every 15, time, every 15 years, our scientific capacity and what we know, like we know, like, I, you know, do the math on that. Like there's an exponential zero on what we know now that even just 100 years ago, we had no idea about. And then you can go even 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, because we doubled twice since then. I mean, it's and I'm only three chapters into this thing. I was like, I have been, there have been multiple times where I sit, I'm sitting there reading this thing and I'm going, wow, like you just did. Like, my God, when you think about it like this, who knows? Well, see, check this out, man. I talked to um, uh, somebody probably a month ago. And I don't, this is not revolutionary. It's just new to me because I've heard of other people doing it. And it was about a, a health program. And hopefully I can tell you all more about it later if I can get a deal done. <laughs> nice. It's about a healthcare program that's entirely based on your dna 
And so I was I was talking to this dude about the program. I was like, so how do you go through it? And he said, oh, well, what we do is we take a swab and we send it off to a lab. And he said, it takes about a month. But when it comes back, we know every genetic thing about you. And we can give you vitamins and this and that specifically to help your your body thrive. And so no two people ever have the same deal. Um, and, and, you know, I've got another couple friends who do a similar program. Cause I think uh, I think so. Don't go asking them on Instagram or something. I think Troy Aikman was involved in something like this for a minute, and maybe he still is. But it's all based on your own personal DNA, so that it helps your body because everybody's body is literally like a snowflake. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible when you start breaking down, and and so I don't know. I just came across that book, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to see his thoughts on this type of thing, and so that is book forty-one that I am plowing through. It is time, as we do each week, to check in with Dallas Cowboys beat writer. Been doing it a long time for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Clarence Hill Jr. joining us here. And chill, Cowboys are 2-1. and one. Cooper Rush playing really well. What do you take away from beating the Giants on the road the way they did on Sunday? Or on Monday night, rather. I mean, number one, that's... that's Cooper Rush is the, is the, is the easy and obvious answer. You know, you continue to be amazed by what he's done. And, and as much as the Cowboys want to say that we like Cooper and we love Cooper, we saw what he did last year and we had confidence in Cooper, they tried to get a man's job away in training camp. They tried to get a man's job away to Will Greer. Will Greer was on track to take the number two job if he does not have a hamstring injury. Okay, they tried to get a man's job with. Then they cut him, you know, cut both quarterbacks. We'll show you how much they valued them uh, to get other guys on the roster. Now, they had this pretty full agreement that, you know, hey, we're going to bring you back. Just sit tight. You know, you know, he wasn't subject to waivers. And so they had a little under-the-table deal. Just sit tight. We're going to bring you back. But if some other team said, hey, we got a chance for a starting job. We're going to give you $10 million. Cooper Rush would have said, forget that under-the-table deep uh, – Agreement, I'm gone. Yeah. You know, he could have done that, you know, and it, that didn't happen. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it, it's his decisiveness, it's his confidence, it's his ability to play in the clutch, you know, certainly playing, you know, obviously playing with the starters rather than playing with the backups. So we saw Cooper playing the backup of the preseason. Nobody's excited about what you saw with Cooper Rush. You know, and, and, and so it's, it's a difference when you're playing out there with the starters. Like, we're talking to Stephen Jones today. Last year, he was playing with a high-powered offense, you know, with Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb and everybody at their best. Now, this year, he's playing with, with, with the offense that ain't what we thought it was coming out, you know, when we began the season. He would question on the offense line, would question that receiver, and he's still thriving. Give Cooper Rush credit, you know, but let's also credit the run game, you know, the fact that they've it's more of a run-based balanced attack. You know, they, they're running the ball way more, you know, last couple of weeks now. The quiet truth is this is what the Cowboys hope to do, plan to do coming into the season, even with Dak Prescott. Because of the course of the receiver, because of the course of the offensive line, they always wanted to run the ball more this year than they did last year. That was going to be the game plan. They couldn't do that in week one because they got behind, because they couldn't convert third down. They didn't have a lot of snaps at the ball. They didn't get a chance to – to lean on the run, but that was the plan, and they're able to do that and able to lean on that running game with Zeke and Tony Pollard. You know, now that 
now that uh, Rush is a quarterback, but it's not like the Cowboys have changed really what they plan, what they hope to be that foundation of, of their offense as, you know, they let Tyler Smith, some of these young guys, their receivers grow up on the outside. That's been the plan. It's worked for professional. But, yeah, give Cooper Rush credit. Give Helen Moore and the way he's called the game credit. You know, what they did on Monday night was amazing. They were able to continue to salvage their season while they wait for Jack Prescott to come back. But this is about that defense. I mean, that defense, a top 10 defense, potentially could be a top five defense. You know, the, the next coming of doomsday with that pass rush, the best pass rush in the NFL right now. The Cowboys are two and one. They really had a chance to beat three. You know, the defense has played well enough to win all three games. This defense is the best part of this team, was the best part of this team at training camp. And it's been the best part of the team for the first three games of the season. Uh, a lot of stuff to dissect there. Uh, I'm going to stay on the offense for now. Uh, what do you think about the use of um, – Pollard and Zeke, especially with Pollard kind of finishing the game, and then how do you see that working out against Washington? I mean, it, it's a true tandem, and, and you know they tried to tell you that they want to use them both. It's, it's it's not you know change of pace. It's a tandem, you know, and and and, and you know they they you know you talking to Zeke today, and he said you know hey I have no problem with it's going to keep us fresh. We both have different styles. That's something that we can take advantage of and 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 exploit the defense. Because they have two different running styles, and, and they told you they continue to just trust Tony. But and everybody's excited about Tony. But Zeke averaged over four yards carry. I mean, he's he's still averaging over four yards carry for the season. You know, he he's playing well. He's running well, and and you know, Tony is one of the big best big play weapons, if not the best. I think he's the best big play weapon on offense, Tony Pollard. And you got to find ways to continue to give him the ball, with just running the ball, throwing the ball, pitching, jet sweeping. All of this stuff, you got to find a way to continue to give him the ball because he is a big play waiting to happen. The most explosive player you have on offense. So, and you don't want to wear him out. He's not a guy that you want to get the ball twenty carries a game, back to back game. So it's not. It's about having him fresh and producing those legs in the fourth quarter, but also late in the season. You you, you want to keep those legs fresh and juicy and springy so he can give you those forty fifty yard runs with these and, and plays that he's he's had the last couple of weeks. So you know it, it's a good combination it is working well you know it's certainly driving people crazy because Zeke's making all this money and he's supposed to be this it's, it's about winning and what's the best way to win is use both of them and that's what the Cowboys plan to do yeah hey, let me interrupt you Matt yeah real quick uh I'm also sending you a text so try not to laugh <laughs> um see this is how this is how we do the show uh I just wanted to follow up on that real quick chill do you think the offensive line is good enough that they can continue to run like that uh, you know, yeah, especially that left side of the line. And 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 the, and the good news is, it's only gonna get better because that man mountain they got it playing left guard. They're gonna start playing a little more and more each week. They ain't ready to get a full load yet. But with Tyler Smith and Jason Peters on that left side, my God, I mean the, the nastiness. And I'm glad you brought it up because you Thank know you. what because. Jason Peters has been a godsend. This ain't Jackie Smith coming from the Cardinals. This ain't this ain't this ain't the the the, the, the rival that comes to help you and, and, and breaks your heart at the end. Okay, I, I know you're old enough to remember Jackie Smith. I broke everybody's heart. You know, fuck Jackie Smith. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> ten year old Taylor. Ten year old Taylor came out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matt don't remember Jackie Smith. He's too young for that. He don't he don't understand the pain of Jackie Smith. That's true. I was not alive when that happened. That's fair. <laughs> you know. But uh, Jason Peters and, and is is well 
Hall of Fame football player. Hall of Fame football player. You know, uh, but what he's bringing as a mentor, as as a molder for the young Lyle and Tyler uh, and Tyler Smith. I was there in OTAs out there at training camp. He's taught them more in three weeks than Zach Martin and Tyron Smith did. Well, give me a, you know, an example. Huh? Give us an example. I mean, just, just, just what they talk. Just, just, I mean, you, you listen to Tyler talk and how he gives them tips during the game. He gives them tips how to tape up his hand. Just everything. He's always in his ear. Well, you know, listen, we love Tyron and he's eight time pro, but, but, but he wasn't, had, didn't have to give the gab. He didn't, he didn't stare at the, he may have showed you, but, 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 but Jason Peters is a guy that can show you and tell you and talk you through. If you watched him during that game the other night, you know, even when he wasn't playing, he was in everybody's ear. He never sat down. He was talking to those guys, and he just he, he's just a mountain of information and, and certainly still a mountain of a player who can, who can get in front of people in road grade like the best of them. But, but the way he molds and mentors, and, and, and again, I think that, that Tyler has an ancestry, kind of like Jason Peters. I mean, he's a perfect guy to teach and mentor and mold Jason Peters because he's intelligent, uh, but he also he's also nasty. You started on that that third and 12 run when they pitched it to Zeke, when, when Cooper called the audible, they pitched it to Zeke, and, and not only did he block two or three people, he got up off the ground and he finished off the pile. And, you know, that ass attitude that means that Zeke was like, today, I'm just glad he didn't hit me. I thought he was going to hit me. I'm just happy he didn't fall on me. We jumped and finished off the pile. But that's what you want from the offensive line. That's what you want from the nasty offensive line. So this this offensive line has, yeah, it's been a big part of the Cowboys' success. You know, Cooper Rush has had time to throw. We're talking about, you know, with, with, with a rookie tackle and a, and a, and a left guard that plays that's really your backup center, you know, for, for the last two games. And, 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 and again, uh, we, we can talk how Jason Peters has played, but Barnett played three quarters of that game and he wasn't a, a, a minus player. You know, when they scored those two touchdowns in the second half to take the lead, uh, it was Barnett on the field and you did not see any leakage in the backfield. Just think of, the duress that Daniel Jones has been under. Think of the duress that Carson Wentz was under. You have not seen uh, Cooper Rush under that kind of duress, and it's because of the offensive line, because of the way they run block, which has allowed them to be balanced, use the plastic pass, but also in the pass blocking. They, they, they've been – that offensive line is good enough to continue what they're doing with the run game. How will that be affected with Connor McGovern when he's ready to come back, or does he just move into a, hey, now you're a backup and we'll use you when we need you? You know, it was funny because Mike McCarthy talked about that today. He's talking about some people are going to be mad on Sunday. A lot of folks <laughs> who want to play and they play. And that's, again, a good problem to have. Yeah. People are going to be mad on Sunday. you got some decisions to make. You know, because, you know, the Stewart may be back. Kirst may be back. McGovern is trying to get back. You know, you got Michael Gallup playing. So, Jalen Tober may be an actor. You know, people are going to be – ain't going to play. You know, you you look at, you know, Brill Cox is – you know, he played. And now, you know, uh, Luke – uh, the, the backup uh, linebacker's back, you know, he, he you know, who, who's going to play? You know, so Luke Gifford, I'm trying to say. So he said people are not going to be happy, you know, which is, again, a good problem to have. But on an offensive line, you know, I don't think that Peters is ready to take a full load. So, you know, is it Farniak? Is it McGovern? You know, Farniak is your backup center. Certainly uh, McGovern can he can play center. Again, those are decisions that the, the Cowboys have to make. We know Peters is going to be up. You know, uh, so so we'll see. But again, a good problem to have. When when two weeks ago we were questioning 
what the hell is going on with this offensive line? You lose Tyler, you know, Tyron Smith, and you got to start a rookie. And then you lose McGovern the first, you know, series, you know, first quarter against Tampa Bay, and you, you're, you're thinking that everything's in shambles. And now we're wondering, how are we going to get guys on the field? How are we going to get guys to the game? Because you have so many positive options. Defensively, what I'm going to ask you a Clarence Hill question. What gives you faith that they can keep this sustained this time to play? You know what? Because the defense <laughs> has been the best. Defense has been the best. You know, when I talk about faith, you know, like you got to show me something. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not about, you know, uh, projecting positively when you ain't showed me nothing, you know, which is what they often ask us to do. You know, but what we see from this defense, dating back to last year, we see from Michael Parsons, these guys in this safety group and the cornerbacks, you know, there's some things you can rely on. You know, they're going to get out the quarterback. You know, Mike McCarthy talked about today that this, you know, may be the deepest pass rush he's ever been a part of. You know, and, and, and you know, now you got to piss off Michael Parsons because he ain't getting no sacks against the Giants and everybody in the locker room making fun of him. You know, t- teammates are teasing him because he took a goose egg against the Giants, even though what the Giants were doing to stop him open up things for everybody else. He still had, he still was wrecking shops and embarrassing folks with his rushes and presses, but he didn't get home. And so he's going to try to get home because Carson Wentz, you know. And, and so you, you, every game they get out, you going back to, they get out to the quarterback. They're going to continue to get out to the quarterback. It's not just the front four. They bring the linebackers. They bring safety. They are getting out to the quarterback. So you can trust that they're going to get out to the quarterback. You know, and you can trust that they're going to get out to Carson Wentz, who was sacked nine times last week by the Eagles rush. It's not as near as formidable and, and, and relentless as this Cowboys rush. You know, and you trust the cornerback. The cornerbacks have played well. I mean, that Cincinnati game, you know, Jamar Chase, those T. Higgins, those are some of the most explosive receivers in the game. They got nothing against Cowboys. They got a couple of splats, but they didn't break nothing, nothing deep, nothing down the field, you know. And and, and they did the same thing. as They snuffed those guys. And and, and my, my boy, uh, Trevon Diggs, you know, last year, that's, that's him between year, this year and last year. He had three picks last year. You know, that, that one on the sideline just went, he went right through his hand. You know, he jumped it, you know, but he got the one at the end. But they're, they're coming. He He's still a, a – a, the ball finds him. He finds the ball, and so you know he, he's going he, – he, he can catch. And so he's, he's those plays are better be made. So you trust the defense because they're deep. There's not a weak – there's no weak spots on this defense. There's no weak links on this defense. There's nothing you've got to cover up and compensate for. And then you may have the best strategist and teamer and whatever else, defense court in the game. And Dan Quinn coming up with different things and different ways to use this guy. So, yeah, you, you have to trust this defense for real. It's for real. And it's going to continue to be the foundation for the team's success. What's the plan with Michael Gallup, at least as far as it pertains to this week and, and how they'll kind of roll into him moving forward? Yeah, well, he's not going to play 60, 70 snaps, but he's going to play. I mean, he, you know, and, and the good news is that. You know, you want to be confident. He's physically ready to go, but you have to be confident in that leg. And you've and, and you, you got to be confident you can play and, and not hurt it because when you're not confident, you overcompensate or you don't do something, and that's how you can get hurt. And so he wanted to get some more reps and practice and some different things. I think he's going to play this week. And, you know, he's that downfield threat. You know, that, that, that ball that, that – uh, not, not the one that CD dropped, but the ball that, that Jalen Tobel dropped, that's a touchdown if, if it's a gallop. You know, and so he's their best downfield threat. He's gonna—he's the guy that high points the ball. He's the guy that you know goes up and leaps and makes catches, you know, down the field. And so you're gonna get that back. And CD was excited about 
you know, what he's going to get with, with, with Gallup opposite him. You know, if you continue to give CD that kind of attention they're giving him, a defense is giving him, then it just opens things up for Gallup and what he can do. But yeah, he's going to be out there. Uh, and certainly that, that's just another weapon for Cooper Rush. Again, who, who makes decisions and sticks with them and, and is very decisive in the storm. He don't have the best arm, but he's decisive with the decisions he makes. Um, what did you think about Michael Gallup saying, uh, yo, I just I just didn't feel it yet? I mean, again, you have to be confident. I mean, and, and, and the thing about it is, is the Cowboys allowed him to do that. You know, so it's, you know, it's, it, you, 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 and he didn't feel the pressure to have to go out there when he wasn't confident. And so, you know, the organization credit, give him credit for making the best decision for him and the franchise for the long haul. And because I talked about, you know, uh, Chris Godwin, you know, ACL around the same a little maybe a week or two earlier than Gallup came back for for Tampa Bay, played the season opener. He ready to go, you know. He didn't have many practices, but he played the season opener, caught a couple of passes, put a hamstring, and he played since. You know, this is about the long haul. This is not about one game. You know, he always knew he was going to be out two, two, three games, and and he wants to make sure when he comes back, he's ready to go, and the only way he can be ready to go if you're fully confident in your ability. So give Michael Gallup credit for making a a big boy, mature decision about himself, about his body, about his career for the long haul. And, and the Cowboys were allowing him to do that and giving him the, the, the freedom uh, to, to do that because it's, it's going to be best for everybody going forward. So, uh, again, hats off to them. You, you have to be confident. It's all about it. It's a mental. It's not just physical. It's mental. And the mental part of the game is, is, is a big part of, of what players deal with, you know, day game in and game out. And especially when it comes to injuries, you have to be confident in your body. How do you see it going on Sunday? Washington coming in again. You talk about their pass rush. I mean, Washington, Carson Wentz was sacked nine times last week. What what's Dallas going to do to that front? Ten? What? 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 what, 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 what what's above nine? I mean, <laughs> damn, we're going like that. Wow. Like that? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, obviously they they, they got to do some things. And Carson Wentz is talking this week about getting the ball out early in the third. He's he's certainly going to try to do that. But if he gets the ball out early, you know, you might see the pick. You know, a you know, Carson Wentz is, is certainly not the guy we thought he was, and everybody thought he was with the Eagles, and he's on his third team. And, and so he is who he is at this point. And, and so, and I don't think he's as elusive as Daniel Jones. You know, he's got some mobility, but he's not as fast as Daniel Jones. So, the, the, you know, they could have had five or six, I mean, three or five or six more sets than Daniel Jones if he wouldn't have scored out and got away from him because of he, he's, he's, you know, his speed and elusiveness. I don't think Carson Wentz can get away like that. So I think that, you know, it, I don't know if he'll get – Eight or nine, I was just talking, but you know, five or above, that's that's on the table for the Cowboys. But it's not just about getting the sack; they want to get the ball out. They they want some sack fumbles, they want some interceptions, and and that's really what's going to turn the tide. I, I see, you know, the problem with picking the game is that as, as much as we love Cooper Rush and what they've done, the Cowboys have not scored a lot of touchdowns. They have scored a lot of points, you know. And so when when you don't score a lot of points, every game is in the balance. It still could be a four quarter game. You know, but I, I got the Cowboys winning twenty to thirteen. That's about right. I had it uh, twenty six thirteen. I think Matt had it twenty four ten. I had it twenty four fourteen. Yeah, twenty four fourteen. You got so, yeah, two touchdowns kind of against the Cowboys defense. They gave number one per game. Huh? Well, at some point it's going to happen. And I also have I'm I'm calling the pick six. I said the Cowboys will have a defensive touchdown in this game from some somebody, whether it's Diggs or somebody else. They're scoring a defensive touchdown. Oh, then Chill's about to call the Turpin touchdown. I feel that coming. <laughs> hey, hey. hey, everybody feels that coming. You know you get excited when Turpin gets that ball. Everybody gets up. Gets That's true. Don't go, 
Don't don't go to the bathroom when it's punch time because Herbert may take it to the house. It's gonna come at some point. It is serpent time. Serpent time. I like Nobody it. jumps on Fort Worth Cowboys like you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, show them how to be stockyards. <laughs> yeah, such a wonderful time. That's that's real Texas. For those listening that have never been, go to the stockyards and you'll see Texas. All yeah. right, chill. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, bro. Stay fair weekend. No, that's right. It is. Who you got? PV Grambling. PV, man. Grambling's a shame. He's a sham. You know, there's something going on over there. I don't think uh, he was is, is the right man for the job. So Weird. Uh, Who would have thought? <laughs> I mean, he, he is 11 as a coach. <laughs> I mean, for Grambling. Who could have seen that coming? I don't know. <laughs> Jeez, you guys are a tough crowd, tough crowd. He'll be all right, man. He didn't need time. Hey, man, I'm just saying from a, a friend of mine who's an alum and played at Grambling, he wasn't stoked about Hugh. Well, the thing is that, that that I think everybody thinks that just go get your NFL guy, NFL goes, they're going to re- replicate what Dion does. And, and that's that's the fallacy. You, know, you got all these NFL guys thinking they're going to come in and do one of them. They're not Dion. They're not bringing the spotlight. They're not going to bring the players, so they're not Dion. And, and Dion's been committed to this thing for a long time. People don't really understand the commitment Dion has had to coaching and the kids, you know, going back to the peewee level, to the high school level. He didn't, he's not, just not just a hobby. He just can't come off the street and have not coached. and think he's going to do what Dion has done. I mean, uh, just like Eddie George. I mean, he wasn't coaching. Yeah. You know, you think he's going to go to Tennessee State and do what Dion does just because you played in the NFL. It don't work that way. No, coaching is like preaching. It's a passion. Truth. All right, Chill. There you go. Appreciate you. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. There he is. Always good to talk with Clarence Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. told you not to laugh. I sent you a text. I told you not to no, laugh. No, I couldn't help it, man. Like, as and, soon as you said you that, were, I was like, oh, my you were, God. <laughs> you, were, you were laughing in an un-McLaren-like way. Because Matt may chuckle, but Matt ain't like me who just gets the giggles and no, just goes off. No, I was trying not to. did y'all but... hear him in the background going, <laughs> how could you not? <laughs> it was hilarious. And it was so spot on. I mean, man, I mean, you nailed that on him. <laughs> okay, we'll let y'all in because we love both of these guys and, and, and it's all set out of love. But Chill normally gives really good answers. But today, he was giving answers like up there with Chuck Cooperstein where they last like five minutes. <laughs> but they uh... but, but it was just funny because normally he just doesn't talk that long. So maybe he was just fired up today. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but it was it was it was great and it was funny. It so was we appreciate uh, you guys. It was certainly interesting. There's that part. <laughs> yeah, that's it was certainly interesting. Yes. So we'll just send it at that. But yes, and that, my friends, is another phenomenal jam session podcast. Thanks so much for listening and sharing it. We continue to just the numbers that we're having since the start of Cowboy season. It's awesome. For those of you that are new listeners, welcome in. Hope you're enjoying it. Don't forget, you can always find us on our Instagram at Jam Session Cast. If that's something you're into, you can message us on there as well. And keep it coming. We will have another one for you. Ready to go Monday. We'll see what happens. Washington and Dallas. Noon kick on Sunday. Maybe the Cowboys can get to three and one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. 
Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.